0: Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news from a power department's perspective. So hey, public power people, after taking a week off to rejuvenate, we're back in season two of Public Power Underground and ready to catch up on the news. On today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest power markets on Air Reports. Talk about coal strip arbitration and litigation with Clearing Up's Steve Ernst. Learn about electric power tractors with Force Aaron Gallagher. Debrief with NRU's Megan Stratman around all things, about all things policy, the Northwest, and as always, cover more public power and public power adjacent news on Public Power Desktop. I'm the voice of the underground and economic development manager for Klatskin IPUD, Brian Fawcett. I'm Paul Dockery,
1: the manager of the Power Department and co-host of Public Power Underground.
2: This is Aaron Gillery, the star of Aaron Reports, a co-star of Public Power Underground, and financial analyst for Class Night PUD.
3: I'm Ian Bledsoe, current power analyst, and what passes for a co-star around here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're starting this week, like most weeks, checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Aaron Reports.
2: All right, let's lean in. This is Aaron reports where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators for May thirteenth, twenty twenty one. I'm Erin Guillory, and I've got your market update for the week. April September floods at the Dalles are expected to be at eighty four percent of normal, and the outflow at the Dalles peaked over the past week at two hundred forty one point six kcfs on May eleventh at fifteen hundred hours. Midday elevation at Grand Coulee Dam on May twelfth was. and peak outflow this past week came this morning may 13th at 159.3 kcfs at 0800 hours checking on snow in the region using anthologies aggregation of snow basin of Answer G's aggregation of basin data, the snow water equivalent for BC hydro generation basin is 110.48% of normal for mid sea 82.27% and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River basin that'll flow through the Bonneville Dam. They estimate there is a 94.48% of normal snow blanket spot market power in the Northwest for delivery May 13th is at $41 with gas at $2.78 per MMBTU translating to a spark spread of 2154 and a heat rate of 16 grand in markets bomb for mid sea is now at 30. $36.11 per megawatt hour mid sea power for Q3 2021 has rocketed from last reported two weeks ago around here at 115. $75 cents and is now at $150 with Sumis Gas at $3.71 translating to a heat rate of 41,300. In Bond Markets 1 California Public Utility District issued 5,745,000 in wastewater revenue refunding bonds with maturities due between 2021 and 2031 and average interest rates of 3.73 percent and yields of 60 bps taking a look at fish counts for the adult spring shinnick this week 3,713 shinnick passed through the bonneville dam yesterday a 1280 count up from last time reported here two weeks ago <clears throat> Excuse me. Spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority. Peak load this past week was 6,965. Last Friday, May 7th at 9 in the a.m. During loads, peak hydrogen was at 8,232. Wind gen was at 2,283 megawatts. Conventional units were at 183 and nuclear was at 953. This week at NOAA climate forecast, the 6 to 10 day outlook has tempered the region with areas with a 33 to 50% chance of being below normal headed, uh, heading northwest, a 33 to 70% chance of being above as you head east in some areas in between in the normal range, precipitation in the region has a 33 to 50 percent chance of being below normal in our neck of the woods with areas north and south in the normal range and slight ranges of above normal precip. Their 90 day report again shows likelihood of a 33 to 60 percent chance of below normal precip. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Brian. <laughs>
1: A few things to comment on, I think, this week, because there were some interesting uh, items you pointed out. The water at the the Dalles, uh, that power, or the water flow forecast, the volume forecast for April to September, has steadily declined. Any commentary, Ian, other than steadily Aaron declined? Aaron said 84%, but it appears to have deteriorated another 1% in the last day.
2: Yep. Yeah, in the last couple uh, hours. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
1: Not great. That translates to uh, the snow is deteriorated as well. Do you think this is our last reporting of snow? Is it time to transition away? The weather in Collisbaugh, Montana indicates that we're probably in, you know, the melt-off area. What are you thinking, Ian? Yeah, it's definitely,
3: definitely fresh at season. Uh, hover over some of those Can- upper Canadia uh, snow sites.
1: Okay, remember this is yeah. an audio medium we're currently looking at NOAA's snow map and uh the snow in upper Canada is still fairly i mean it's near its peak it hasn't yeah. really started to fall off yet yeah that's uh
3: from the uh water supply uh debrief uh you know the cascades down there there's no snow in the cascades of oregon washington still has a decent amount uh idaho north idaho is uh a little bit Southern Idaho, also nothing. So Oregon and Southern Idaho is nothing, but north of that, there's still some left.
1: Yeah. The other commentary I had um, was the grand or the uh, CGS came off as expected on May 8th. Remember two weeks ago, I searched for that date um, and here it is. It was on May 8th. It actually declined on schedule. Good job by you. Good job by you, Energy Northwest. Good job by you. (laughs)
0: that's a good callback right there
1: yeah it's, <laughs> only you and i get that joke okay yep. anything else we should comment on uh from aaron reports are we good
2: prices are good. going crazy, yep. What's going crazy? keep watching prices yeah, are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are we going to talk
1: about that a little bit
0: later in the podcast prices
1: i don't think we're going to talk about the july and august prices i think we okay. may mention the uh the you know gas uh disruptions mm-hmm. okay i'll uh we'll move on moving on all right
0: next up is our weekly walk through northwest public power and public power adjacent news in a segment we like to call public power desktop way to not re- read ahead
3: even a sentence brian because that story <laughs> is right now After a series of gas panic buying, the Colonial Pipeline said yesterday that has begun to restart operations after the cyber attack linked to a criminal gang known as Darkseid, not to be confused with the Superman uh, supervillain. Earlier this week, smaller segments of the pipeline system were restarted through manual operations, delivering 41 million gallons of fuel to various places. Colonial Pipeline Company, operator of the 5,500-mile network of pipes, noted a steady foot on the gas pedal as restoration to the pipe's full capacity of taking 100 million gallons of fuel a day from Texas to New Jersey will take some time. Meanwhile, gas prices have climbed to a U.S. average above $3 a gallon for the first time in six and a half years, uh, as many gas stations around the East Coast and elsewhere have run out or almost entirely run out of fuel. As Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg said, Hoarding does not make things better. For more, visit the Wall Street Journal for the Colonial Pipeline Restarts Operations After Cyber Attack article by Colin Eaton.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to cut that out. We've been very explicitly in the notes of this that so we are not going to mention anything about EVs. <laughs> and we are not going to make fun of people, okay? And what did I put my pun, key. Ian? This keys. Oh, he used the pun. They he put on the gas. gas. He didn't say no. that's gas. He, yeah.
3: I, I that I looked at it. I was like, I don't understand that. <laughs> so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> What's gas? Hoarding does not like- make things better. That's gas.
2: Yeah, like that's in. gas. Like that means like that's fire. That's lit.
3: Oh, spot on. Never said that phrase in my life. So neither of I. Neither of mine. I <laughs> it. When She wrote it.
2: Oh my gosh! I was secretly hoping you'd say it, and you'd say it in a really weird way, and I could make fun of you for <laughs> it like afterwards. Like a question?
3: That's gas.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm.
3: Uh, <laughs> I'm very. I'm very aware of the stupid things you put in the things for me to read, Aaron. So. Uh, Thank you for that. Inclu- I, I think awesome. you also know how much I hate uh, puns, so uh,
1: I'm always on the lookout so, for... I'm those. really curious. This Colonial Pipeline operator noted a steady foot on the gas pedal as restoration. Was that an Aaron pun or was that a pun from the person that got quoted in the article?
2: That was that- me. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, next article. Where am I going next?
0: Uh, editor of Clearing Up and newest friend of the underground, Steve Ernst, dropped in to get up to speed on litigation and arbitration over the future of the Coal
1: Strip Power Plant. Hey, Steve. Welcome to Public Power Underground. Hey, thanks for having me. It is, it's great to have you. I have been on vacation for the past week. I took a wonderful break. We took a break on Public Power Underground. Now we're back, and I'm trying to catch up on emails and the news. And All the right. news. There's a lot. Both. There's
4: a lot. Indeed.
1: So I'm calling you to wonder in 200 words or less, what's the news?
4: Well, the big news last week was that we got a peek into the thinking of the coal strip ownership group and um, how they might be thinking about the future of the coal fired power plant in Montana. Um, Pacific Northwest utilities are looking or asking an arbitrator to see if they can close the plant either one or both units of the plant with just a simple majority. Talent Energy, the owner operator countered with a lawsuit of their own saying that uh, both that the four Pacific Northwest utilities want to close by 2025 and want to move arbitration to Montana and apply Montana state law. Um, this is all sort of in the wake of uh, Montana um, enacting two new state laws aimed right at coal strip. One that would allow the Montana attorney general to fine the operators who don't pay for maintenance on the plant. And uh, two, it would move arbitration to Montana. Just like Talon's asking for.
1: Was that 200 words? I think that was pretty close to 200 words. Oh, good. I'm going to ask for some clarification. Not a lawyer, did not take the LSATs. So out of my depth here. So it sounds like one party is just seeking arbitration and there is another lawsuit. Two separate things.
4: Yes, yes. Um, And this all sort of reverts back to the coal strip, the 50-year-old contract that governs the the coal strip power plant. Um, and litigation here is is probably, it was inevitable once Washington and Oregon started to want to decarbonize their utilities portfolios. And Montana has a huge coal reserve that they'd like to exploit. So the, the as you know, Puget and Avista have to be out of coal by 2025. Portland and Pacific Corps have a, a little bit longer runway. They can, I think, get out. And I think Pacific Corps is 2030 and PGE is 2035 to get out, of, to stop billing for coal in their state rates. Um, so this all is going to come down to just a, a, a really ugly contract dispute, essentially.
1: And, and you mentioned, so there's a 50-year-old contract. Arbitration is in that contract. There is some structure of arbitration.
4: Yeah, the contract, we did a piece on this a couple months ago. The, the contract allows for arbitration in Spokane. Okay. Um, and what Talon and Montana want to do is move that to Montana. Um, and, and Talon also, in, in reading their lawsuit, would like to sort of throw out pieces of the contract, but, um, but lean on other pieces. There's a, the, the contract itself doesn't really address how Coal Strip would close. Um, It talks about until it can't generate electricity under prudent utility practices, um, which is pretty vague. Um, So it's not really clear exactly how they'd close it, although there is another part of the contract that talks about if one of the owners don't want to pay for uh, maintenance, then their shares could slide to the other owners that do. So you could see where there might be an avenue there for talent in Northwestern to, to pick up coal strip that way.
1: Yeah, it seems like the end of contracts is always the hardest part because you can never envision 50 years from now what sort of environment you're going to be in and what sort of like disentangling mechanisms you need to incorporate into a commercial agreement. There's the arbitration and there's the litigation. I believe I read in the article the litigation is in the U.S. district courts.
4: Yes, well, the Pacific Northwest owners uh, sued in federal court there in Montana to um, try to block the state laws that that were just signed last week. Okay. Um, they they're declaring them that they think they're unconstitutional
1: because they would essentially void parts of the 50 year old contract. Okay. so the 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 federal litigation in the district courts is in some ways to prevent the arbitration from moving to Montana. Did I did I hear you correctly that part of the Montana law was moving the arbitration point? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They want to move. They
4: want everything to apply in
1: Montana under Montana state law. Okay. That sounds like a lot of news. Also a a very deep level of like contract mechanisms you had to talk to some people about. Um, So thank you for your reporting and thanks for getting me caught up on the news.
4: Oh, you're welcome. Welcome back.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Is there anything you're working on this week that you'd want to promote or not? Maybe not this week, but for a future?
4: Well, uh, this week we're working on a piece about uh, Seattle City Light relicensing their Skagit River projects to um, possibly include some fish passage. And um, in keeping with the, the theme of Puget Sound Energy, they've released an RFP for um, resources to um, help meet their, their needs over the next two or three years. So
1: we'll have a story on that, too. That sounds great. Is, I'm, I'm really honored that you're willing to come on the Underground and talk about this. I really uh, value your reporting and having somebody who can dig deep into these topics. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Paul. Anytime. Great. Now back to the Underground for News.
2: Fitch Ratings issued a rating action commentary related to bonds secured by payments from BPA. Several revenue refunding bonds issued by Energy Northwest Washington and secured by BPA payments were were assigned a double A rating. These borrowings included... Seven hundred and fifteen million, seven hundred and ninety thousand of revenue refunding bonds for Columbia Generating Station capital projects bond refinancing and debt issuance costs funding. These bonds are scheduled to price on May twelfth. Oh, they have priced. Uh, Fitch ratings also affirmed BPAs double A AA- minus issuer default rating, which indicates stable credit quality and in, uh, in repayment of all fixed obligations. Finally. Fitch Ratings affirmed the AA debt rating assigned to several previously issued bonds secured by BPA payments totaling $6,195,800,000. These bonds include certain features of BPA's uh, required priority for these bonds ahead of its own federal debt, including the U.S. Treasury and federal appropriations debt. For more, search for Fitch Ratings Energy Northwest Electric Revenue Refunding Bonds and select the link from May 4, 2021. That takes us right into our next lead, which is that BPA hosted the 2021 Q2 Quarterly Business Review on May 11th. The presentation started with a series of shout outs, including John Hairston's absence due to his time away to be with his children, graduating this week. Congrats! Further introduction was provided by the newly appointed COO of BPA, Joel Cook. Lastly, BPA CFO Michelle maneri has been recruited for the Office of Ele- Electricity Detail. With the Department of Energy, wow, she will start on May 23rd as Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Energy Resilience Division, very well-deserved. Michelle pres- provided a brief overview of agency net revenues, forecast $138 million higher than rate case, highlighting operating revenues extensively above rate case due largely to trading floor sales with much higher than expected prices and lower non-cash expenses. Maneri noted, this is an important graphic to watch as we head into a very dry summer. Transmission revenues are lower than rate case due to a continued uh, to continued non-renewals of point-to-point and fiber contracts and financial reserves are strong. Agency capital expenditures, expenditures are down as project focus has shifted to core projects and core continues to work hard to ramp up project, project execution. <laughs> uh, two weeks is a long time um, to get used to reading again. Uh, the technical workshop will be May 18th. For more, visit bpa.gov.
0: I just have one comment 192 words nice work Aaron kept it yes. under the
1: 200
2: I've been counting that was
1: that I was less count. than 200 words yep well, I need to reduce my cap them. I need to reduce my cap I don't know she read two in a row so it was a bit I, okay okay fair enough where are we going next where Where did
3: we learn about this uh 200 word cap because
0: I had I had never heard this
1: Well, it's because you don't listen to the podcast.
5: (laughs) It's all
0: right. I don't read the the stuff in the comments about what not to say. So
1: we all have our things. Now I got to edit twice. I got to edit the first reference to that. Now I got to edit the second reference to that. Hey, I didn't say what it was. Okay. I may leave it both in. Let's be honest. (laughs) See how ambitious I am. What's next?
3: Oh, it's me. (laughs) A fourth program manager and similarly enthusiastic transportation electrification advocate, Aaron Gallagher, joined us to promote their electric tractor pilot program.
1: Hey, Aaron, welcome to Public Power Underground.
5: Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: I love the story about e-tractors. We found it, uh, I think, everywhere that we find our news. Um, And I wanted to get you on to talk about it. So in 200 words or less, What's going on with e-tractors?
5: I'll try to stay in 200 words. Um, Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate being here. Electric tractors are really exciting um, and they're really new. I compare this to being like 2011 of electric vehicles. There's only a few models out there. We just delivered our first model to Central Point, Oregon uh, at Rested Gate Farm. Um, This is a program and a partnership between Fourth Sustainable Northwest, Y-East, uh, RC and D and BEF, and our goal is to collect data, um, try to rotate electric tractors through a couple different um, farms to to see what are the best use cases. Hopefully, I'm within 200 words there.
1: That was great. It's, a, it's so it's like a 40 horsepower tractor. This isn't a big uh, combine or anything like that. It's a smaller workaround tractor. Is that right? But all the right. three point. Hitch worked, the bucket worked. Looks like you got all the ancillary equipment you could possibly want.
5: Yeah, absolutely. So the tractors that are available right now are all on the smaller scale 30 horsepower, 40 horsepower. Uh, there's a couple other ones coming to market that are around that 70 horsepower. Um, so we're hoping just to build demand and showcase what is available right now. All the tractors are also coming from um, more startup companies, less of the John Deere so far.
1: Okay. Um, Do you think the future of this gets into the bigger scale tractors? Yeah. You you think, because for me, this technology works really well for tractors and electric motor, really good torque curve uh, at low speeds. You have a lot of power.
5: Absolutely. I think this is just the start and all the other big manufacturers have made commitments. Uh, They want to go electric. They're investigating into it. Um, I think that this program is, is a way to show that there's major demand. There's major demand in Oregon uh, for electric transportation. Um, so, and we're, we're already noticing that, yeah, the three-point hitch works. Uh, yeah. that you still have the auxiliary hydraulics. Uh, we're hoping that farmers that are, are participating in this um, program don't have to compromise at all when they go electric.
1: Yeah, I love it. Two things I wanted to hit on first you mentioned in your article, and this is one of my pitches, you're just plugging into a welding outlet. All the farms, they got welding outlets. You know, that's 240. That's all you need to charge. Not like you need special charging infrastructure, right?
5: Absolutely. Yeah. For for this uh, program, we just showed up with the cord to charge it and found the welding outlet. We also found an RV outlet um, at their other site and no additional infrastructure was needed. And we are expecting that to be the case for many other farms that have their own shops and are doing a lot of work there. So yeah, it's really nice to know that there's no additional infrastructure needs um, for a program like this.
1: One of my personal goals and missions is to normalize an outlet for electric vehicle charging. So thank you for helping me on that mission.
5: (laughs) Absolutely. Second
1: thing, I have a nephew who's considering, he's in early high school and is considering going to a vocational school for diesel mechanics. And I'm trying (laughs) to pitch him on, don't go study diesel mechanics, and also his grandmother, my mother, is also advocating for go study electric motors and electrical vehicles and electrical tractors. Any anything there you're working on? What's how do we convince these kids that you know electric motors are the path forward?
5: Yeah, great question. Uh, one of the barriers that we're anticipating with electric tractors is this lack of workforce that is able to work on them uh, so we're working with a couple of local community colleges to hopefully develop some curriculum. Uh, one of our programs is taking place in Crook County with electric tractors and they're bringing in uh, the local high schools and 4h clubs to start getting experience with these uh, new electric tractors We're trying to hopefully build new workforce within Oregon around uh, around this technology. Um, because I know a lot of farmers like to take care of their own tractors. We're hoping we can build some, uh, some knowledge base here. Uh, definitely encourage uh, your nephew to, to start looking at electric tractors. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And I love, I love the you know, targeting 4-H, targeting community colleges, targeting FFA programs to let them know, hey, this is, this is a way to get into a market early. And you know, if you get into a market early, you can just rock it up the pay scale. Let's get you paid. Let's get you paid, Jay. Come on.
5: Definitely. And I think this is going to bridge that urban-rural divide. I think that folks who've been uh, living in rural areas and thought EVs aren't for me, maybe electric tractors will get them into electric transportation. Uh, I think a lot of the farmers who, who we delivered this tractor to, is was their first time uh, experiencing that torque of an electric motor. And you could just see it on their face. The joy was there. Uh, I think we've got some, some people who are convinced that when the electric F-150 comes out, convinced, we're, we're going to yeah. go for it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, so uh, I have taken Jay for a ride in an electric vehicle. I think he now appreciates the difference in torque uh, between a traditional combustion engine and an electric motor. I think we're on the path. Thank you for coming on, Aaron. I really appreciate you.
5: Oh, thanks for having me appreciate, appreciate all
1: the work Mark does as well all your webinars are, are wonderful and outstanding so thank you
5: thank you thanks for having me really appreciate it yep.
1: Love now enthusiasm. back to the underground for news a lot of energy from erin really great guest i hope she's willing to come back it'd be great to have her again but paul i know
3: uh being you're from ohio so uh did you find out about the capabilities of electric tractors in the tractor pull
1: no i didn't ask about tractor pulls <laughs> and whether there's a special class for electric tractors <laughs> that would be a great way actually to uh maybe promote the vehicles uh, or the tractors i don't know I'm it's my assumption that that's a big a big thing in ohio am i it, right uh i've been to tractor pulls for sure okay. I, the bigger thing was the combine demolition derby i found that like that's that was the most innovative <laughs> thing when i was a child the it wasn't just a demo derby. It was a combine demo derby, which I found fascinating. It was great. I'm going to have to YouTube that this afternoon. <laughs> derbies.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: Defiance County Fairgrounds.
2: I have a story for post. I have a story to post this. Okay,
1: you can't. Okay, it's just you can't use the chat. Oh, it's so distracting. I can't use You guys can't be using the chat while we're doing this. I got flashing <laughs> lights. I'm OCD. There's chat here. It's so disruptive for me. Who's next? We we can't be wasting time. We got so much content this week. The person who
0: initiated the chat is next, and that is me. So, Ford recently announced its first foray into the electric truck market, the F150 Lightning will be announced on Monday, or on May 19th, not a Monday, at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. If you'd like to get more information or add this momentous event to your calendar, head over to their countdown
1: website. You can find it just by Googling F-150 Lightning. That's all I did. All right. I've got a special prize for anybody who
3: can name another vehicle that shares a name with a World War II military aircraft. Other than the Mustang, you mean? There's one. Paul gets a special prize.
2: <laughs> what, what, what's the prize? This
3: is weird. It's a special yeah. prize, Aaron. Yeah, I, don't I know. have this no is, idea.
1: If, you, if there's no answer, it's not great content. Uh, 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 what's the answer, Ian?
3: That, that, you just gave an answer. A Mustang, Mustang is one. Yeah. Okay, what uh, are one? the others? There's a Thundercat, Spitfire, uh, Thunderbolt.
1: But those are the ones I know of. So what does was the Lightning uh, a World War II airplane? What's the connection here? Yeah. Oh, it's just,
4: uh,
1: I don't know why why there <laughs> oh are so many gosh. cars named after war, World War II Wait, wait, was, was an F-150, was Lightning the name of a World War Two plane is my yes. core question. Okay. Yes that, that, that's the link. Thank you for the yep. linking up on that one. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did say another
3: you car did. named you after. You did.
1: Okay. I was not aware that the Lightning was was one yeah. and, and i knew the was trying one. to be special brief prizes.
3: and not over explain it but uh paul, paul wins a special prize
2: and ian wins three i three will say the lightning is
0: an awesome name for an uh ev truck that's, that's, good. that's, that's good good marketing yeah. right there yeah.
1: Maybe, a, yeah maybe a little little like a little too on the nose like it's like oh that would make that didn't take much creativity you know what i mean it's like yeah <laughs> maybe it's a little extra because i did not realize that there was a world war ii name playing called the lightning and so maybe it's that connection to the mustang gives it a little bit more credit so i'm um, thank you for making that connection in
2: <laughs>
1: otherwise i just thought like oh that's cheap and like,
2: yeah uh, lightning this okay. is the I new like vehicle, super lightning. fast E B Ford car. (laughs) Like
1: naming a outlet plug pass. It's like that's kind of cheap and derivative, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's up? Are you you next, Gillary?
2: I am. Nru's rates and policy director, friend of the underground, and public power underground's special. All the topics she's willing to talk to us about, correspondent. Megan Stratman agreed to update the Underground on the status of the rate case and provide her thoughts on the post-2028 Provider of Choice process.
1: Hey, Megan. Welcome back to Public Power Underground.
2: Thanks, Paul.
1: It is uh, great to have you back. I have been on vacation, had a great vacation. The kids uh, loved being in the Oregon Coast.
6: Oh, I love the Oregon Coast. It's so beautiful.
1: It is beautiful. I disconnected, though, except for a couple of slice meetings. Uh, we can talk about my issues with uh, disconnecting from slice meetings at some other date. But okay. I disconnected from a lot of the other stuff. What's going on with the rate settlement? Can you give me like some debrief on what's going on in the region?
6: Yeah, so um, I can bring you up to speed on where we are. So the proposed rate settlement has had basically no objections to it. So that is now going to be in front of the administrator. He'll be able to make a decision on that. That'll come out in the draft rod, the draft record of decision, which will be out in late June. Uh, So the terms of the settlement, as you'll probably recall from before vacation, it's kind of a combination of the two settlement proposals that were presented by customers to Bonneville. So they combined what was called the narrow proposal and the comprehensive proposal, kind of took a bit from both. So from what, what's most important for us, which we've talked about actually before, is revenue financing. So that right. big one where in the initial proposal, Bonneville um, assumed $95 million of revenue financing for power. Under the proposed settlement, it's $40 million. Okay. So you're looking at under hold everything else equal just with that change. Power rates instead of being flat, no change compared to BP20, we're looking at on average a 2.5% rate decrease. Yeah. Good news for all of us in the region who are struggling with economic recession issues. Um, I know everyone's been having a really hard time uh, due to the COVID um, uh, pandemic and the recession and everything. And so let's, you know, let's just peel the layers back a minute here on what is driving that rate decrease, because that's something we've all been kind of wanting for. I don't think any of us expected to ever see a wholesale power rate decrease nope. in our couriers. Nope. But you know, remember that one of the biggest components of the tier one rate overall on average is that credit of net secondary revenues. And we have seen that credit just plummet over the last decade because wholesale prices have just gone down and down and down, partly right. due to the increase of renewables and all the energy that they're bringing onto the system. But we're seeing the market start to flatten and actually start to go up. So if you have been looking at the Ford price curves, which I'm sure you do as a size customer, you're yep. seeing a pretty steep increase from what we've been seeing. Absolutely. So that helped bring up the secondary revenues credit, which then all else equal and in- decreases the tier one rate. So because of that component, we were seeing, um, the opportunity for a rate decrease. And we also have to recognize and give credit where credit is due. Bonneville has kept its expense costs flat compared to BP 20 and then compared to BP 18. So, you know, when Elliot Mainzer was the administrator he talked a lot about bending the cost curve, right. we have to acknowledge Bonneville has bent the cost curve. That's not an easy thing to do to absorb the impact of inflation. So those are two big things that help keep that rate increase lower. Um, Bonneville with up to $40 million of revenue financing can use that to help with their overall financial health. But most, maybe even more importantly than the dollar amounts is this commitment to having a comprehensive public process after the rate case ends to really talk about Bonneville's financial health. They have access to capital issues. We've talked about that before. They're looking at revenue financing as a piece to that puzzle. It may be an appropriate piece, but we need to see how all that fits together. And if power is revenue financing, how might that impact um, access to borrowing authority that's available to both power and transmission? So you immediately start to have power and transmission uh, interbusiness business line issues start popping up. So yep. really looking forward to that process. It's going to be a challenging one for us to work through as a region, but really important. Um, so power rate increases. Yep. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Follow up. So part of the, the settlement discussion was around whether the revenue financing would be a surcharge or would be, um, embedded in the rates. Is there, where did we, where does the settlement proposal land on that?
6: So that's actually a really good question. I think it's just embedded in the rates. Okay. Um, I think Bonneville felt that it would be too hard to do a surcharge. Um, so just embedded in the rates is, to the best of my knowledge,
1: okay. And, through. and this proposal is it part of the rate case portal? Is it the uh, embedded Im- so I could go find it on there and yep. I can you yeah, so absolutely go through the components of it. Okay,
6: yeah. And Bonneville has they, they've done like Bonneville is usually really good at conveying information really clearly and concisely, so they've got a nice little matrix that shows like the proposed terms um, and how that's all gonna factor there. Cause the other couple of big items were transmission losses. So you'll recall the initial proposal was to have um, a capacity charge associated with delayed loss returns. Under the settlement that's proposed that capacity charge would not be implemented. Um, and we would all focus on getting to concurrent returns by BP 24. Um, so those are kind of the two biggest parts of the settlement on the transmission side, they actually, on average, got that rate in decrease down to single digits. So high, okay. high nine percent, but better than the eleven and a half percent on average transmission rate increase they're looking at. Um, and part of that was due to um, the um, a slight decrease in the amount of revenue financing for transmission. So they took five million dollars off of it. Um, okay. So all in all, you know, really representative of uh, folks in the region working together to try to see what we can come together with as, as a region. So again, this next step in the process is the administrator will consider the proposed settlement. We'll see his response in the draft rod later next month in June, final rates come out in July. And I just have to say that the rate settlement does not lock down rates, okay? So it locks down these key components but Bonneville is going to update its studies for its okay. market price forecasts, its load forecasts. Those have been sources of change in the past. So we're using the best information we have today. Everything is subject to change, but it's looking really positive to have a rate decrease.
1: Yes, and we should know it's official as you were saying when the ro- the final rod comes out in July. Yeah. Exactly. And that gets all of my process off where I got to translate a final rod into actual retail rates that I got to convince my board to actually adopt. So yay. Yeah.
6: Well, and hey, hopefully it's going to be an easier conversation this time.
1: <laughs> yeah, we got to negotiate the like conversation because if Bonneville does some like headline of oh, we're decreasing energy rates and then I have to be like, well, that is on an average basis and uh yeah. the classified rates are likely to be increasing slightly because of the difference in load following products and slice products that's <laughs> going to be a fun conversation yeah.
6: that will be a, a, a really good social media post right there i'm looking forward to your instagram and twitter accounts talking about the load following product and the slice <laughs> non-slice products should be good yeah
1: i have to come up with a meme format maybe you can help me out <laughs> to figure out like what's the right meme format for that there's yeah. got to be one right
6: well, so here's the way I think about it, Paul, is there is a big difference to me between wholesale power and retail power. And so if you look at when you go buy from Shell or Transalta or PowerX, one of the marketers, they sell based off of what the market is doing. So let's say last week I bought at 35 bucks, this week it's 30 bucks. I wouldn't expect Shell to be like, ooh, actually we'll just keep selling it to you at 35, you know, so you don't have to have a price decrease because that's kind of awkward. To me that's oh, the yeah. way I look at the bonneville like it's this is just one piece of the com for component of retail rates for our members. Bonneville power is somewhere between forty to sixty percent of their retail rates that's still a lot of other factors that yeah. come into setting your retail rates
1: yeah and it's a it's a process I enjoy uh interestingly you enjoy rate Bonneville rate cases. I like the translation and communication of retail rates to our customers it's my niche I love it. That's great. Um, is there anything else in the region you'd want to highlight that's going on and things interesting to chat about?
6: Oh, post-2028. Here we go. So this is one of the things that we've all been waiting for, looking forward to. Um, Bonneville is committed to be the provider of choice. That is what they're calling this, this next set of um, contract discussions. So we're starting to really dive deep with Bonneville on key components of power rates construct. So we're gonna start talking about system size and allocation. So today, in today's terminology, that's the tier one rate, or excuse me, the tier one system size and your contract high watermark, your rate period high watermark. For us as NRU, what's important is to, let's think outside the box, within the box of allocation, but outside the box of what we have today. So what we have today is system size is based off of 1937 critical water. That might be the right approach, Use, uh, to use moving forward, there might be something else. Would it make sense to just set the system size at some amount instead of having it change every two years? There's pros and cons to all of those things. And that's what we want to start talking to Bonneville about. And then of course, once you set the system size, you've got to figure out how to allocate that. Um, for another thing that's really important for our members. And I think for many Bonneville customers is integrating non-federal resources into their resource supply stack. So I think there's lots of opportunities for flexibility and creative thinking. So we're really excited to be working with Bonneville and others, uh, other Bonneville customers on really exploring some options
2: under there.
1: Yeah. The, the talking about portfolios that are going to occur in 2028 and beyond mean really for power supply people gets you really focused on the ways you can add flexibility in two contracts and mechanisms and policies, because uh, one thing we are all certain of is we don't know what our portfolios will look like from 2028 until 2035. It's, I don't know for sure when the end of the tenor of this agreement will, will end up being. And so trying to make sure that you have an ability to manage your portfolio uh, with the con- this large contract, which is the largest portion of our portfolio. Big deal. It's a big deal. Absolutely.
6: Yeah. And I mean, like, think of what the future holds. Like, we've seen such amazing technological advancements in just the last five years in terms of green energy, rooftop solar, electric vehicle charging, all of those things. The future is going to be even more diverse and vast and exciting. And so, how can we kind of future proof these contracts so everyone can make sure they are responding to their local community needs and wants and still be able to integrate a low cost, affordable, carbon free power supply? that Bonneville provides to all preference customers who want it. Yeah. It's a Pretty big undertaking.
1: Very big undertaking. I'm glad that you'll be in the room. Uh, so we can have intelligent conversations and disagree respectfully, because yep. uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty confident we can do that.
6: I am right there with you, Paul.
1: And we don't always have to disagree, Megan. We're really good at agreeing with each other. I really enjoy you that part to. too.
6: Yes. Yeah, you know, we can mix it up. We can agree and disagree. It'll be fun
1: different topics different framing different you know different agreements or disagreements let's do it
6: and that's what i love most about public power is we can all unite on certain topics and on other topics we know we're gonna have differences and that's perfectly okay
1: yeah and we just get to beat up bonneville when we don't like it (laughs) I mean, yep, we
6: always have that core sh- component, don't we? <laughs> I,
1: I do I do I do need to pivot away from that a little bit because I do respect Bonneville's approach to this provider of choice okay. uh, negotiations. It seems like we are trying to partner on finding good solutions. I am an advocate and my philosophy is product design and service design end up defining the value propositions for both the seller and the purchaser. So if we can work with Bonneville to define good products and services, it can be good for all of us, for both of us, for the family of public power. That's my philosophy. That's my pitch.
6: Yeah. Well, I mean, we've all had strong business partnerships with Bonneville for over 80 years in many cases. That says a lot. And we want to keep continuing that going forward.
1: Agreed. Anything else you want to pitch or promote? Anything else you want to say before we let you go?
6: No, all all I have to say, Paul is, I'm glad you've already gotten your vacation in because I'm not sure you're going to have much time to take another one this summer.
1: I am going to take so much vacation this summer. That's we all are, aren't we? We're all going to take. Like we should all take a bunch of vacation. Self care is important. We have earned vacation. Sorry, Mark. Uh, may have some periods (laughs) where you know we're going to have to. Negotiate some different work arrangements. I don't know. We're taking all the vacation.
6: Hey, maybe this should be our first, like, you know, post 2028 conversation piece. Like, let's all decide just take the month of August off, like forever. Everyone just take the month of August off.
1: It's and then like, there will be
6: no meetings to miss.
1: Yeah. Maybe we should start that conversation. Actually, let's do it. I'm going to be very clear. I've already scheduled 50% of July as vacation. Uh, So I'm missing 50% of July. Hey, well, let's do July
6: and August. You know, just take two months off.
1: I I think it doesn't have to be in perpetuity. I think we all need it this year. That's what I'm saying. This year, we all need to take July and August. My earpiece just fell out. (laughs) So enthusiastic about this.
2: Yeah, your
6: excitement is literally.
1: It's just like, this is the year. We all need it. Let's just all like agree. through twenty twenty one, July and August. We'll work. We'll do some work. We'll keep our operational commitments. But all the big projects just let's yeah. Press just,
6: just, 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 pause just, for a few few
1: months. We've earned it.
6: <laughs> Thank You're you. Very
1: absolutely.
6: All right, thanks, Paul.
1: Great chatting with you. Back to the underground for news. In true
4: public
0: power underground fashion. We are again innovating with our first original article written and reported by our very own captain ian bledsoe ian what do you have for us thanks brian april's
3: issue of nwppa's bulletin magazine had an article by christine lindemulder titled maintaining epuds workplace culture through the pandemic on page 18 the article briefly mentioned that they took pleasure in having the well-behaved dogs join them at work with the office being closed to the public and only a small number of employees regularly in the building these furry visitors could always be counted on to generate smiles and lift spirits my spirit was just lifted reading about it but i wanted to know more so i called to talk with emerald pud's human resources coordinator alicia burgess They said the practice of having dogs in the office started organically when during a storm a few years ago, a key employee was required to be in the office during power restoration efforts, but had nobody to care for their dog. That employee was allowed to bring their dog to the office for the duration of the event, and it worked well. The dog was well behaved and brought an added benefit in the form of higher morale and cheer in a stressful time fast forward to the pandemic fewer people in the office and no customers met fewer interactions several employees sought and were granted approval from department managers to bring their dogs into the office from time to time more employees noticed the canine companions in the office and got approval to bring their dogs in Alicia said that having a dog in your office provides a great incentive for other coworkers walking past to dive in for a quick chat and a head pat uh, of the dog, of course. Uh, It's understood by staff that it's not something that can be done every day. And of course, only well-behaved dogs are allowed. Alicia said that in line with EPUD's value of empowerment, dog owners self-manage the amount of time and locations their dog accompanies them in the office. It's unclear how long the practice will continue as restrictions relax and more employees are coming back into the office. The situation is being monitored and of course may change for a host of reasons down the road. Alicia specifically mentioned a fear that an employee would want the same allowance to bring
1: their pet snake to work, a fear we both share. Um, uh, there's, there's more chatting going on. Also distracting Guillory. Um, great, great, great reporting Ian. I really like that you took the initiative to call up the HR, uh, coordinator, uh, yourself to get clarification. Uh, hopefully other management team people at Klatskin IPUD are listening and maybe we can, uh, maybe we can follow Scott Coe's leadership. (laughs) Go Scott Coe.
6: Go, go Scott Co
1: <laughs> so in other news before we
0: move on uh, commander, it would be the next step up for captain um, so okay but According lieutenant's still below rate. right yeah, lieutenant below. captain
1: commander deputy chief okay but I, I think we need it's we need to get away from the uh, grammar police because he's elevated from grammar police to journalist I mean what <laughs> he's now a reporter he's investigated investigative reporter. Well, I used to be the editor in chief of Rainier
3: High School's newspaper. So reporter is like a down a demote
1: from that. Well, yeah. I mean you went from editor in chief of your local newspaper, you get you went down, and at some point you bottomed out on like just a grammar police. That's the bottom, Ian. And now you're like elevating back up. Maybe someday you'll get to the level of an editor in chief again. But like you 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 hit rock bottom with the grammar police.
5: Did you Uh, not know that was rock
1: bottom? Did you not know? (laughs) I thought having a blog on the internet is like the pinnacle of success.
2: Work with what you have. But you know what? (laughs) Whatever the case, Ian, if you're going to continue to have very pointed, very specific articles like this, I think you have no word limit. You know, words are your oyster.
5: Are you saying you uh,
0: support this concept, Aaron?
3: I
2: do. Yeah, I would love a follow-up. I appreciate that. I mean, trolling
3: Paul by, you know... Making my own uh, story content without telling him or asking him about it.
1: It really only—it's a joke that only works once. You know, and the thing—it didn't work because I was all in. Yeah, <laughs> I was all in. in kind of in, backfired. going articles, every showing week. initiative, yeah. reaching out, communicating with people in the industry, making connections. Um, this was, I'm all in, man. I'm all in. I think your next task, Ian, is to reach out to other people and maybe even in other industries, find other successful examples of having pets in the workplace. (laughs) So maybe this can be a recurring thing. You know, let's find, let's find the pets in the workplace. Let's bring those. During
3: high school, I definitely made myself a, you know, phony press pass for, uh, the Colombian newspaper, and I actually used it to get a free movie ticket, and reviewed a movie for our newspaper.
1: So. Bring that back. So this, this is. is uh, bring that back. Really, I like this. I like where this is headed. This is headed. You have a <laughs> multimedia platform now for your investigative journalism.
3: You just take a piece of paper and write press on it, and then stick it into the hat band of your fedora, and people are like, "Look
1: out! Oh. This guy's coming through." Nope. Then they're like, oh, he's got a uh, costume on for Halloween, but it's not Halloween. That's what they're thinking. Okay. We got to move on. We're, we're at the end of our rope.
0: All right. Well, that troll job obviously uh, backfired a little bit on Captain Bledsoe, but we'll, we will move on. Okay. That's all the news we're covering this week. Send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter at the power manager. Or if you're a friend of The Underground, send any of us a note. Do we have anything coming up to preview or promote,
1: Paul? And thanks, Brian, for bringing that up. We, we have a great episode coming up. Next week, I'm actually very excited about it too. There's an Energy Northwest internship program with a very energetic person from Energy Northwest that's going to come talk to us about their program and getting uh, adding people to the Northwest Public Power Pipeline, the talent pipeline from colleges. So very excited about that. But most importantly, we have an After Dark episode coming up where we're going to talk to Susan Ackerman. Susan Ackerman is, has announced her retirement and we're asking all friends of the underground and friends of Susan to send us questions for a mailbag make them witty make them funny make them i don't know public power adjacent or northwest public power related we're very excited for all of your interesting content we're going to be very loose um want to get uh susan's opinion on a variety of topics while not getting fired that's the ground like we don't want it that's that's the (laughs) box we're trying to fit in Uh, so uh, we're very excited about it we got a, a great cast of characters that are participating in the After Dark it's going to be very loose very. Uh, it's going to be very fun that's coming up at the end of May but we do need the mailbag uh, we need some mailbag questions from all of our friends anybody listening to this send us in your questions
0: alright can't wait I'm going to miss uh, that one but I will definitely be listening to it so. so any friends of the Underground who are also friends of Susan and that really should, that should be all of you should brainstorm fun, entertaining, and Northwest Public Power or public power adjacent questions and send them to us before when?
1: Got uh, a uh, great clarification. Um, next Thursday, we need them by next Thursday so we can filter through and get them sent out and everybody can know what they're going to be doing. So next Thursday, this is our last warning uh, or, or ask for mailbag questions before uh, the deadline. So we got to next week, we're just going to promote it. We aren't going to ask for mailbag questions.
0: Got it, thanks, Paul. Okay, we'll be back next week to talk about public power and public power adjacent news. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast app.
1: That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Public Power Underground is Northwest Public Power News from a power department's perspective presented for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the power department. The views... Expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated or doing business with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Megan, Aaron, and Steve feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.